On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, how dynamic pricing is hurting Bruce Springsteen fans in New Jersey. ABC has got a problem with too many bachelorettes. And actor and stand-up Roy Scoble joins us. He's starring opposite Rose Byrne in the Apple Plus series, Physical. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, and that's Sue Kalinske. Thanks very much for listening to episode 207, Sue. 207. Episode 207. There were people, maybe our friend Christopher Morales thought, yeah, maybe they got 20 episodes in them. Maybe they got 30. 207. Take that, Christopher Morales. Do you really think he thought that? Yeah, I do. I oh, do. that piece of he shit. Con- he constantly <laughs> counts me out. He constantly counts me out. So anyway, I'm, I'm excited about that. Roy Scoville's going to join us from physical coming up here. But Sue, you've got some some headlines that you wanted to get to. What do you got? Um, well, it was announced the other day that um, ticket prices for Adele and Bruce Springsteen are like completely out of control. So her prices were like it's anywhere from like 600 to like four four like four i think one ticket it was like forty seven thousand dollars. no not forty seven thousand i'm telling you you gotta the, you gotta be in her lap to be able to pay well maybe well, maybe, maybe that's where maybe that's where the seat was <laughs> man man now um, where is she doing vegas is that this where is her vegas thing her vegas but, thing okay. but but the the Bruce Springsteen tickets and and I guess Ticketmaster they call what do they call it they dynamic call it pricing dynamic pricing okay so I'm not even completely sure what that means yes do you know what that yes, means yes I do in other words the more demand there is the higher the ticket prices go okay. So it's like Broadway now, how you can't get into a Broadway show like Hamilton. You know, you spend a thousand dollars, get into Hamilton. That's because of dynamic pricing. They're not just a set price on tickets based on demand. The price goes up or the price goes down. Yeah. So, I mean, for Bruce Springsteen, who's most of his music is about the middle class, and yes, the working man, the working class. Yeah. It's just so disturbing to me that he is not, um, Stepping in here, yeah, and and having an issue with Ticketmaster because his fan base. I mean, look, there are a lot of people that go to see him that have a lot of money, but when you think about what he built his career on, yeah, that he would have such an issue with this. Well, here's the thing. So there are a couple of things. First of all, Springsteen has done things that are generous to his fans. Like for example, 
the he was the very first act ever at Staples Center in 1999. I was at that concert. I've yeah, 1999. Uh, then he thought that Staples Center, now Crypto.com Arena, thought Staples Center was too corporate. There were too many corporate boxes and suites and stuff. So he wanted to go where the people were. So he played the shitty sports arena, which honestly was the biggest dump in the world. But again, wasn't corporate and tickets could be less expensive. Here's the thing. Ticketmaster has a monopoly on the market in terms of premium tickets. Ticketmaster is the one. So Springsteen would have to create a different platform to be able to sell his tickets in order to keep them at normal relative pricing because Ticketmaster is doing dynamic pricing all across the board. Well, Dwelled, would you think that someone like him would maybe venture into doing something like that? I think he should. And I think the blowback, the blowback is, hey, man, you know, you played because this is his Jersey concert they're talking about, right? I think it's at mm-hmm. the new where we saw him. Yeah. Uh, at the, oh, at the uh, Meadowlands. At the Meadowlands, right? So I think that's where he's doing his shows. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's right in the heart of his people. Jersey, working class, and all of a sudden there's $4,000 tickets uh, in Orchestra Center. I would hope that he does something. Um, The blowback may cause him to do something. And if not for this show, then future shows. Yeah. So, so that, that is that. Okay. Um, Now, I don't watch The Bachelorette. Oh, I hang on every episode. You can watch. But I have seen it in my day. Okay. And I guess this new season, they came up with a a bit of a twist where there are two Bachelorettes to choose from. Oh. And it has caused havoc because some of the guys have actually not accepted roses from either woman. Really? Yes. The guys are saying just thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. So they're both kind of being shunned. You two bachelorettes, hard pass. But the whole idea, wasn't the whole idea of the show that you were the only game in town? If you were the bachelor, then you were the one who got to, you know, choose amongst a group of women and vice versa. Yeah. Now, can you be more catty than to have, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it seems like, like teenagers came up with this idea to create, you know, kind of like housewife kind of like, you know, right, right. situation on the show. So now apparently they're going back and both women are going to get their own crop of, of guys. Oh, so now they've changed yes, it because it, 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 yeah, because it turned out to be such a disaster. So what happened to all the guys that are still in the room that didn't get roses or, or got roses and are staying? Yeah, Does it I, all start I, over? They hit reset? It sounds like that's what they're going to do. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, here's the thing with their shows. The idea is to create maximum drama, maximum tension, maximum excitement, maximum, I mean, all that stuff. So I, I would imagine two bachelorettes and a room full of uh, guys right? Uh, probably creates drama, but it sounds like this this time too much drama. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't have know, time for stuff like this. I really don't. No, it's like, why don't you it's, just quit, quit while you're ahead? Like, it's it, why do you have to change what the show 
has been popular for. And I would think the ratings are pretty good unless I, you know, I didn't read anything about, oh, the ratings went down. So they had to do like, you know, something a little bit different, you know, um, but just, I mean, Sue, just leave in, well enough alone. Just, in and, reality, and, who watches this crap? I mean, who, who does? I, I, a lot of people, but who watches a lot this of people. crap? And you know what it is? This is what pisses me off. So all of a sudden, uh, th- these housewife shows and bachelorette and bachelor and all that stuff, people model themselves after this behavior. And on those shows, bad behavior gets rewarded, highlighted. You win the apple, you win the rose, whatever the hell it is you yeah. get. <laughs> the apple. The apple. I guess that's the best teacher. <laughs> best teacher best best doctor exactly you get the (laughs) stethoscope uh (laughs) but i i think at the end of the day other people now act like assholes because they've seen people on tv act like assholes yeah well it's not far from jerry springer tv i mean you know that's you know people love that stuff you know people love you know all those court shows that's why you know you know I hate to say it, but my husband watches cops, you know, cops still He loves cops. <laughs> Sometimes I'll come home and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And he's already seen the episode. People. Well, I mean, they're all the episodes are the same, I think, aren't they? Well, the they are part? the same with just different <laughs> names, but they're no, but he's actually seen that specific episode. Wow. wow. And I, I'm like, I'm like, I can't. Leave a married to you when you're watching this crap. But he he just he finds it funny. So I'll tell you this story about, you know, people people start watching shows and they can't get off the shows. So my dad, uh, while my dad was alive, he died in 2016. He loved Shark Tank. My dad would have Shark Tank on nonstop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I go to my mom and not stepdad Leo's house uh, over the weekend here. What's on TV? Shark Tank. Shark Tank, Shark Tank, Shark Tank. So is it something about old people love Shark Tank? uh, Or did I just draw the short straw here with another Shark Tank lover? You know, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know anybody that watches Shark Tank, <laughs> <laughs> but my parents are long gone and I, I'm not, you know, on a daily basis in contact with somebody who's like 80 years old. So I don't know. I don't know. But, but I think, I think a lot of older people do watch, um, probably do watch housewivey stuff. Um, and I also think people that are, are maybe housewives watch housewivey stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's no, true. That's uh, true. But, but, you know, I, I can't even, I can't even gauge with my friends, you know, because, you know, most of my friends, I mean, I have friends that never watch, don't watch a lot of TV at all. Oh, they're not those people that say, we don't have a TV. Well, it's it's not. Do you that, have anybody like that? Do you have anybody like that? Like that's total NPR. We don't have a team. No, I don't, I'm not friends. I've with never anybody. seen anything. But, but I you have know friends. those people, right? They're, oh yeah, they, totally. They're, they're vegan. They eat gluten free. They have they what listen to NPR a lot. They don't have right. TVs. They listen to vinyl records. You know exactly who this person is. Yeah, like hipster no. central. Yeah, no, totally. Um, but I do know people that don't have um televisions in a main room. Oh, okay. You know, like in my, you know, and it's because my house isn't that big, but, um, you know, I have a TV in my living room. Yes. I've been to friends' houses that would never have a TV in their living room. Oh, yeah. You know? No, that's why I watch TV. I'll have like a, t- like a TV room. A TV, you know? right, right. You know? I've, uh, I make it easy. I've got a TV in every room. 
Yeah, and like I have a TV in my bedroom. I know people that would never have. A I TV know people in their that don't do that. Yeah, I know. Well, also because they 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 think it's bad to watch television before you go to sleep. Right. Right. You know. Which. Yeah. So they're not snooty. They're not like no, sober, like Los Feliz snooty people. No. Well, that's no. the other thing. They live. So let's see. Let's let's compile this. Okay. So they have a beard. Okay. <laughs> or a goatee. Oh, or a goatee. <laughs> Uh, they live in Silver Lake or Los Feliz. Mm-hmm. They listen to nothing but vinyl records. They <laughs> listen to NPR all the time. They uh, wear they, wool hats when it's hot out. <laughs> they they uh, they don't have TVs in their house. Oh, I've never seen that show. We don't have a TV. That person is the person that annoys me the most. That I and just they may described. not flush their toilet. When they pee all the time. Correct. When it's yellow, keep it mellow. When it's brown, <laughs> flush it down. That is a slogan that I learned when I was very young. Uh, all right. Uh, there you have it. Hey, our, our, I want to get to our guest. So our guest today is a stand-up comic and actor. As a stand-up, he's performed on The Tonight Show and Conan. Plus, he has two stand-up comedy specials on Netflix. As an actor, he starred in the TBS sitcom Ground Floor, was a star on the True TV series Those Who Can't, and his latest project, he is starring opposite Rose Byrne in Physical. Season two is now streaming on Apple+. Plus. Rory Scoble joins us. Rory, thanks so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good so morning. We love physical it is such a a twisted and dark and funny and interesting and fascinating show and i was talking to sue and i was talking to my partner last night we were watching it and i'm like what does this compare to what what is this show like and we can't think of anything that it's even like can you no i uh and i love that it feels that way i feel like that's what kind of adds a little bit of excitement is that it 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 feels less predictable as to where each, we might be going in each episode just because it doesn't feel like it's got sort of a, a, a usual uh, formula, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, d- I don't know. I think a little bit of that is because Craig Gillespie, who directed the pilot in season one, you know, heavily used his style of, uh, of, of the cam- use of the camera to create sort of that hectic, chaotic uh, mindset and display that was very much part of like Sheila's inner voice. And I, I think because his style is so specific, I think it, 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 it sort of set the tone for the whole series to have this sort of unique look to it that, that um, I think kind of sets it apart from feeling like something else. And then outside of that, I think just the, the writing, I think the, the internal voice, while not necessarily a new way of, of storytelling, I think this, this one is a little more honest and I think people relate to it. And I think the combination of all those things, I think, is what makes people feel like, oh, this seems like a different concoction. <laughs> this seems like different uh, ingredients I've heard of, but it seems like all of these being put together into this one recipe feels very new and different. So when you found out about this project, um, was this an audition or were you offered the part? This was an audition and it was, uh, I can't remember, maybe six months, five months into quarantine when everyone was living in a state of confusion and, and not really understanding anything. So this was uh, an audition that I got to put myself on tape. And I, I hate doing that. And I don't think I'm good at it. And I'm very self-critical as a lot of us are. And I put myself on tape 
And then I kind of gave up. And then my wife, who was reading the lines with me, was like, we're in quarantine with nowhere to go. Why don't we just do it a hundred times until you like it? And I got to say her saying that is probably what got me the role because I was like, oh yeah, what am I rushing off to? Like, let's focus and really get it right. And then from there, you know, it was Annie and, and Craig and casting and everybody being pretty into uh, whatever my take <laughs> was on Danny. So I want to ask you something about your character. Um, he is, well, in the first season anyway, is so douchey. Okay? <laughs> now, who is this guy to you? I mean, is he a combination of people or is he like a specific person that you know? It's not, it, it's sort of, it's not a specific person that I know uh, or even necessarily a combination of people. I will say um, there is nothing more fun than getting to play a douchey, just <laughs> not seeing it type. Kid. There's something that's very therapeutic about getting to play the thing that you, you sort of despise. And I don't know what that therapy is, but it's very real. Um, yes, he absolutely was douchey. It, you know, the, 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 the sort of source of the whole aerobics thing, as we all know, with sort of this sort of alt version of Jane Fonda and Thomas Hayden, you know, it's like, oh, this this couple. So there's a little bit of me having looked into who he was and what their relationship was like. But at the same time, I didn't really want it to be some sort of version uh, of him. So to me, I just tried to bottle up all of those things that I would despise in a person or dislike, but also I wanted it to come from a place where I didn't lose people. I wanted people to go, why do I care about someone that shows no <laughs> compassion towards, you know, anything but him himself? Um, so it didn't come from a specific reference. It just kind of came from this idea in my head of being like, say the douchey thing, be a jerk, be the bad husband, but try to do it in such a way where someone just can't uh, give up on me because I think they need to believe why would Sheila not have already left this guy? <laughs> they need to, yeah. they need that ounce of likability has got to be there to, to make them believe that she would stick around. So I was talking about this last night too. Does Danny, because Danny ran for office in season one, protecting mm -hmm. the coastline and, and all that stuff. Um, does Danny actually care about the coastline or does he just care about the power that goes along with that position? Great question, because also that's sort of in season two, we're sort of in a little space where he's having to finally confront that reality. I, I think it's percentages. I think there's a high percentage of Danny that likes the spotlight, that likes being the leader, that likes people looking at him as the smart guy uh, who cares about them. And then I think what attracts me to Danny is that I, I genuinely believe that he does care his fault is that his ego is a little bit higher percentage than am i actually saving the planet and i think that's <laughs> why he is a faulted character because if it just shifted slightly <laughs> he cared more about people he might be a great guy but because he really wants to make sure you know that he's the guy um i i, I think it puts him in a position of seeming art more artificial about it than he maybe genuinely is do you, ha, have you guys received, because obviously the Sheila character uh, played by Rose Byrne has got a disordered eating. Mm -hmm. um, she's bulimic. Have you heard from like organizations or foundations or whatever, it, folks that work with people who have the same issue? 
I I don't know for not me personally. I don't know if Apple or production uh, if they've received anybody reaching out. Uh, you know, with you know either applauding them for tackling a topic like this in such a way, or even criticism. You know, you can't make everyone happy with how you uh, portray sensitive uh, issues. I will say, in season one, I did get a lot of messages from a lot of people, specifically women, who said they loved the show so much because they felt like they related to it so heavily. They said, I talk to myself like that. I look at things this way. I feel this way about these things. And it made me feel so good because I, th- I think that's what you, you, you always want to be a part of a project that actually has that kind of an impact on somebody. You know, it is fun to make just outright comedy and people go, I laughed and I felt better. And that does feel good. But it also feels good when people go, oh, I also have a serious, you know, uh, infliction because of disordered eating or because of just low self-esteem or just internal voices that maybe control them a little too much. It feels good to hear people say I related to this because you do hope that them seeing it through another lens maybe provides some sense of relief or some sense of direction towards working on it. You know, Steve and I both have a friend. You may even know her, Kathy Ladman, the comedian. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Kathy, she's anorexic and she's open about it. So I'm not like outing her. And she just did a one woman show about that. Yeah. And, you know, I've been watching her work on this for the past three years. And in the beginning, you know, she was really having a hard time towing the line of like, how funny can I be here? Right. And there were people I remember in the early stages before it was fully developed that the audience was, I could tell it was very uncomfortable because, you know, I've seen, you know, Dennis Leary do, you know, one man shows about cancer and cancer. I guess it's something that more people know about. More people have been touched by. Yeah. But anorexia is kind of like, ooh, I, yeah. I don't know what that is. So I, this isn't funny to me. And right. She, she she actually championed and and made it. It's a brilliant, brilliant show. Yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, I think that's uh, and I'm pretty sure that's probably very fulfilling and like um, uh, gratifying for for her as well. And also to, to that point of, you know, I think that's why a lot of comedians don't want people showing up with their phones at these shows, because in those early stages, you don't know how to talk about something. And sometimes that can be a, a big topic. In a lot of ways where people mm-hmm. could f- just say, oh, I don't find this funny. Or people could go, I'm deeply offended. And you might not be an offensive person. You're like, I'm just trying to figure out how to talk about this topic. And I can't know it without doing it at least 30 times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> to, see right. how, to see what the audience feels and how they re- respond. But good, good for her because I know that uh, that can also deter a project. You know, if you sure. get that kind of feedback from people early on, you might think you're on the wrong path. But that's great. So uh, working with Rose Byrne, she's so funny Um, and she's so, I mean, like the first time I ever saw her was damages and she's unbelievable with Glenn Close and damages. And then all of a sudden here comes bridesmaids and here comes spy and here comes neighbors. There's such a funny bit in there. Do you ever see neighbors? Yes. Yeah. It's it's such a funny bit (laughs) where they have to go next door and tell the kids to uh, quiet down at the party. They've been practicing, you know, (laughs) keep it down. Kids can keep it down. And then Rose Byrne finally says it. And she goes over the kid. She's like, 
keep it down. It was just like the weirdest, <laughs> funniest take on the line. Um, if you say anything other than she's a delight, I will be very disappointed. But how is Rose Byrne to work? I, I know it's very satisfying because she is a delight. In fact, I have used the word delight and and being around. I'm like, people have said, what is she like? I'm like, she is so delightful. It's great. Um, it's very cool for someone like me to work across from someone who is so good because it's uh you know you're always you always want to learn something you always want to see someone just crushing it and just be like ah, how do you do that what are you doing what is the what can i learn from just watching you do it and so i'm i'm pretty fortunate to be across from someone who literally can play in uh in an, at an incredible level the comedy of something but then also the drama of something with the slightest smallest movements or looks in her eyes or stuff you know there's there's takes that i kind of ruined because i just was watching <laughs> and, <laughs> i was really worried it's your turn to say something i'm like oh my god i can't <laughs> i kind of forgot i was like just kind of watching <laughs> i want to i want to just get into a little bit of of the way your your character work and and i'm always so curious about this like there's a there's a scene where you're you fell asleep and you guys had like a weird moment the night before. I don't remember exactly what the situation was. And you're lying on your back and your mouth is a little bit open, right? <laughs> while you're sleeping. <laughs> and I, I'm watching this and I'm like, was this a, like an actor's choice? Because you look so like, like, like if I were your wife at that point, I would be even more disgusted at looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime we've had to lay like in bed together or be, I always, I always want to have this certain degree of slobbishness. That's not, that's not over the top where you're just like so grossed out, but, but just enough where you're annoyed by it. Yes. And you're like, just close your mouth when you sleep. Kind of that. Like, I don't hate you, but can you just change this one small, thing i i love little stuff like that that also I, i'm glad you noticed because i also like those little things to be noticed they're never like specific character choice things because my brain always goes to is this funny and i always want to try to put a funny thing in but yeah for that i was just like what would annoy somebody but not disgust them and it's like how, how <laughs> i think what makes me laugh is it's sleeping it's out of our control exactly. it would bother you <laughs> so, so you know what's weird about season two is danny becomes kind of the most good-hearted person on the show yeah you, you kind of don't like him in season or you're annoyed by him in season one season yep. two he becomes very very good-hearted and kind of the good guy in in the show and you've got i just watched a couple of scenes uh with you and rose uh uh the the one where you confront her uh yeah. about the eating disorder and then the one where you're doing aerobics together and you sort of buy into the whole thing what's she like as a scene partner what are the what are those scenes like they're great they're they're so great because uh you know i i, I as someone who's newer to maybe even any type of dr more dramatic acting. I mean, I would say probably acting in general, but definitely more dramatic where I don't have this, this huge background to draw on of experience to know how to do these things. I would say working with someone like Rose in a scene where I am confronting her about her, her, the eating, I, it, it's, it's great to know that I can just say, Hey, here's what I'm thinking 
And here's where I think Danny's trying to get to. And here's why he's tiptoeing. And these are, and she's so responsive and receptive and willing to like, before we shoot a scene, be like, Hey, should we talk about this and and see where it's going to go? And as someone who doesn't have a background to even know the etiquette of, (laughs) are we talking about a scene? Is that a thing that we do? Like, I don't, I'm new to it in a, in a, to a certain extent. And to know that that's how she is, is so great for me because it, it just makes me more confident when I then have the camera on me and I need to try to get to a certain place. And it also helps me to see what she gives to a scene to be like, oh, okay, so this is what I am, you know, this is who I'm kind of hitting the ball with. This is how we're hitting it and, and, and what it's like. Um, but yeah, like the, that aerobics one, that's the first time I had to do something physical like that in the show. <laughs> and that's the first time it occurred to me that in season one, she was doing that for hours to shoot scenes. And I, I mean, my heart was about to explode and I was like, Rose, <laughs> Oh my God, you've been doing this all last year. You were shooting hours and hours of aerobics. And she was like, I know. And I was like, it never occurred to me. It never occurred to me. I, I just did it for a minute. And I was like, I need a timeout. <laughs> I need a timeout to reset my my lungs before we do it again. <laughs> so, so when you have that kind of chemistry with somebody, um, are you given a lot more freedom as actors to just go off and uh, go off book? Yeah, uh, and I think that's a great thing about Stephanie and um, and Laz when he directed two episodes this season, uh, and also Annie, uh, the show creator and and showrunner and. She, she is so she's like, here is the blueprint of what I've created for this character. But if you feel like it should be something else or he should say something else, I love that she is so willing to, to work together to figure out, you know, maybe there's something else that the character says or the way in which uh, he says it. And I've asked, even though I, I, I asked this season, I go, can we really play a lot and really try to find some stuff? But the great thing about the show is you really step into these scenes and what's written is is usually so good. Your instinct isn't to try and veer away from it. Your instinct is, well, let me really try to nail what's on the page because this really works. Um, but she, they are great about being like, let's do one where it's just loose, see what you find, see what's in there. And, and I love that about it. It makes me feel a lot more trusted when someone lets you do that. So I want to talk a little bit about your uh, your stand-up career, too. Um, you come from a big family uh, down in South Carolina, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious, were you the funny one? Do you think you're born funny or do you think funny is a, a learned behavior? I think I think it's sort of both. I I definitely come from a big family. My dad and his siblings, he was one of five kids. And my grandparents, everybody was very funny. Everybody was always doing a joke. Humor was a big part of getting attention or communicating. Um, And I think I took note of that as a kid. And I think it, it, that starts to train your brain towards, well, what do people laugh at? What is getting people's attention? How do you make adults laugh? What is timing? I think you start to learn those things. I think a lot of that is, is heavily learned in comedy. I think what you decide to write about it or, or joke about is just personality based, what turns you on anyways. But to me, I think there's a little bit of natural timing and the people who are the greatest legends in comedy, I think there's, it's sort of built into their DNA. But then I also think they were really good at 
understanding how to uh, perceive other comedians' timing to know, oh, it really is timing. You really could be talking about nothing, but if you have good timing, there's something in our brains as an audience that we just like it. We just <laughs> latch onto it. So I, I think it's a little bit of both, but I do think, you know, growing up watching the Marx Brothers and Abbott and Costello and and every comedy that I could get my hands on, you really start to see, well, what are people laughing at, at and how is it being displayed, you know? What uh, what made you get on stage the first time? Um, I was out of college and I, I heard a David Cross stand-up album. And I think bef- before I heard his album, I wasn't much of a fan of stand-up comedy. I liked it. But all I ever really knew was sort of a Jerry Seinfeld, wear a suit, very well-written, concise. And I just never related to that. So I was always like, oh, that's what stand-up comedy is. Like when you see it on The Tonight Show or you see Jay Leno do it, it's everyone's got on these nice clothes and it's very to this beat. And then when I heard that David Cross album, which was him in a hoodie, you know, when I saw the visual of him in a hoodie with jeans (laughs) and talking so loosely and doing bits that went for a long time and didn't have the same cadence, that kind of a light bulb went off for me where I was like, Oh, I didn't know that version existed. I didn't know there was this genre of this thing. I think maybe I want to try this. And so that was enough for me to, get on stage also i was pretty directionless after <laughs> college which which really helps <laughs> yeah you know i i did stand up for a very long time i did stand up for like 30 years you know beef, beef, obviously before your time um <laughs> and i started in new york and so i was around with jerry and you know and carol liefer and you know paul reiser yeah um but i remember for me it was that moment when i knew that i didn't have to get a laugh every second yeah. like where i can just kind of stand there and look at the audience and uh it was okay yeah you know and and to get be that comfortable and i i am so impressed with you because i read that you did six straight nights of improvised shows yeah yeah and that to <laughs> me is like mind blowing it i I, it, it was, uh, it was terrifying, but I have to say it, there is a revelation and I tell a lot of comedians this, that I, I, I think when you're up there, if you are a funny person and you, you and I probably know so many mutual people who are not funny at all off stage, but they're great writers. And then when they get on stage, it is very funny because they can take something written and they know how to say it. And then we also know the other version of comedians, and I'm not saying one is greater than the other, but we also know other others that sort of don't necessarily need a ton of material. They know how to just sell a morsel of something because they just, they're, they, they're on kind of all the time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's annoying and sometimes it's great. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm less of a writer and more of a performer. And so because of that, getting on stage, I've told other comics who are more performers and very funny offstage. There's no reason that you're funny offstage because that's just a conversation. The only difference when you get on stage is that you don't necessarily have someone feeding you what you should be talking about. So if you can just keep talking Mm-hmm. Your instinct is to already connect the dots to try to make A plus B equal a laugh. You already are you know, wired that way. And getting on stage and trying that, it made me realize, oh, I actually can 
do this. And I know other comics can too. It's almost like stepping out knowing there's no net, but I think a lot of comics would find out, Oh, I don't need the net. It actually, there's comedy in every moment of just talking regardless. Well, it it must've been so liberating, but I want to know, did, did the audience know that they were coming to see a show of someone who was improvising? Yeah. Cause I, my assumption was I was going to bomb six shows in a row and that it was going to be more of a train wreck uh, than anything else. So ticket prices were, were super low. I think I did Monday <laughs> through Saturday. And as we got into the weekend, we kind of raised the ticket prices just cause it was, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, but tickets were like five bucks and I was fully prepared to return if someone wanted five bucks back, I was very prepared to hand it back to them being like, yeah, I don't know what to say. I'm just experimenting. But I got to say right out of the gate, the light bulb just went off. I started talking about elect or, uh, uh, you know, fully automated uh, cars or like the self-driving cars. And then I just talked about robots for almost an hour. <laughs> and I got off stage and I was like, I've never thought about robots that much in my life, but because I didn't have another thing to talk about, which if I had written material, I would have just moved on. But instead, I really had to mine robots. And because of that, I was like, oh, there was some really good material in there. There's some really good punchlines in there. If, if The main thing I walked away with was like, oh, these improvised shows, you can walk away with a good 10 to 15 brand new minutes to work on every 60 minutes that you go on stage. You just have to be willing, as you said, willing to sit in very quiet moments right? because that's what keeps you sharp. You can't be thrown by those quiet moments because it'll kill you. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I've been to shows, which, which I, I, I've always loved, where it's specifically new material night. Yeah. And those, I mean, that just, that, that just makes you stronger. It's, and it liberates you too, because if you were at a club club, you're like, oh, well, then everyone thinks I've lost my touch and the audience hates me. But when right. you go to the show where the, ever, the audience knows the deal, which is why I wanted them to know it was improvised, because I want to be like, yeah, have a little compassion for the fact that I am, if I'm flailing, there's good reason. I'm not lazy. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. But to me, yeah. the ultimate is to go do those shows on a five-show weekend at a comedy club, unannounced that's at, that that's what you're trying to do. You don't tell the club, you don't tell the the room to me that is the ultimate high wire act is that you don't have the forgiveness of the crowd and also a crowd that has paid anywhere from 20 to 30 bucks <laughs> yeah. so now now it's a big deal now it matters yeah so i want to i came across a quote from john cleese from uh, monty python and monty python i mean forget it like the funniest Greatest, yeah. Yeah, the greatest. So, uh, Cleese says, this is a direct quote, a lot of comedians now are sitting there, and when they think of something, they say, can I get away with it? I don't think so. So-and-so got into trouble, and he said that. Oh, she said that. And that's the death of creativity. So, I would say at the moment, this is a difficult time, particularly for young comedians. What do you think of that? I I personally don't agree with it. I I don't think this chopping block is as big as people think that it is. I, I think the whole point of stand-up is you go on stage and you do what's funny and you say what you say. And I think a great example of someone who does that creatively, and I don't always agree with his stuff, is Bill Burr. Bill Burr is doing 
fantastic as a performer. No one is canceling him. And he is definitely saying things that many people would find offensive. To me, the one thing that he's doing with that material is he is providing a perspective and an opinion and a punchline that actually goes with it. And I think that's different than some people just wanting to be shocking or offensive or mean. And I think when people go on stage and they do those things, and then the crowd does get offended or shocked, I'm almost shocked that the performer is shocked because I thought the point was for them to shock the audience. (laughs) And then when they actually do it, they say that the audience doesn't understand, you know, oh, they're too weak or they don't understand offensive stuff. To me, I've never, and I think this is true of 100% of everyone on the planet, I have never been able to decide in the moment what I'm about to laugh at. It just happens. And Mm -hmm. if someone tickles that thing in your brain, you can't turn it off quickly. I have laughed at very offensive stuff that I don't agree with on a bigger level, but I've laughed because I'm mature enough to know this is not the bigger level. This is just a basement room at a at a bar that smells like mold we're not changing the world in this you know 10 by 10 (laughs) room but i i I don't think so i think if you want to get on stage and you want to say oh i have jokes about uh trans people i then go for it but if it's not funny and people don't like it that's just the reaction that that happens and if you go i got canceled because i did a thing it's like well, was it funny? Because I think Bill Burr makes it funny. I also don't think Dave Chappelle has been canceled and he's definitely doing yep. those kind of jokes. But also, I don't know. I think there's also maturity to the the audience to sit there. And yeah, to, to John Cleese's point, there does need to be an audience that sits there and goes, all right, well, is this a joke that I just don't find funny? And then do I want to not participate in the show anymore? And that's a decision we're all allowed to make. I'm don't know I've signed one petition to silence somebody and there's a lot of hate out there (laughs) and I'm still like hey get on stage do what you do but you got to pay for it you know right I mean look you know you're you're always going to have audience members that aren't going to agree with everything that you say you know I remember years ago there was a guy named Paul Kozlowski he had this room in LA called the fake gallery it was this like rat rat cat remember yeah 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 so it was like it was like uh, like it was like the little rascals, you know. It's yes. like I got a barn, you know, and he had this small stage. It was like a clubhouse. This. It yeah. really was a clubhouse. So yeah. one night, um, I, it was it was just all women on the show, and Kathy Ladman again. She has just brilliant, brilliant stand up about Hitler. Okay, so <laughs> my husband's friend is married to a German woman. Okay, so for some <laughs> reason that night, like four comedians had Hitler material. Yeah. Right? So, needless to say, <laughs> it was Hitler night. Yeah, it was yeah, Hitler night. Yeah, yeah. So, needless to say, his wife was like beside herself. I didn't talk to her after the show, but yeah. the husband called my husband the next day and said, "You know what was up with the show last night? Everybody's talking about Hitler." And Barbara was really upset. And I'm like, "Oh my god!" And, and yeah. Really? And is it now like she's defending Hitler? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Barb, is this Come how on, bad Barb. it's gotten? <laughs> He's such a nice guy. Yeah. I also think you have to look at it and go, you know, when you're the audience member, you have to also go, well, how much did you pay for this show? And it's (laughs) like, well, was it free? If the show was free, 
Like that's just the deal. That's just what, what happens. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, I I I, I get. That. I've, I think I've heard John Cleese kind of talking about it. It's all this very like cancel culture and like definitely yeah like, yeah oh, that this woke mob. But I I I don't think it's as aggressive as people make it out to be. I think there's more silencing and cancel culture in the political side of things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, towards education and books in schools and Roe v. Wade. The things that are really actually matter are getting canceled. Someone going on stage and and telling a joke, that comedian, you know, if the audience loves it and audiences don't want other audiences to to like it, well, that's art. That's what just art is. It's not all good, you know, in a subjective way. It's not all good. You have to let it exist. But that's such a perfect point that you make is that the things that are truly offensive, they're okay with. (laughs) Yes. 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 You know, you telling me that I can't buy birth control? Yes. Exactly. Okay. No, I have no issue with that. But, you know, don't talk about, you know, don't talk about, you know, the Catholic Church this way or, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So now that you're a big TV star. (laughs) <laughs> are you going to go back See, and humor's stand-up? everywhere yeah are, are you going to go do stand up again are you going to get back on stage what's the story yeah you know i think i would have probably kept doing stay i think i think what took me away from stand up more than acting was uh just the pandemic and 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 knowing that i had to come home and be safe and 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 also i got lucky you know getting a show and a job like that meant that I wasn't, I didn't have to, to go back on the road. I could kind of sit back and see what it's like to be at home for a while. Um, but I am going back out um, August. I'm gone a lot to do shows and start get doing some five show club weekends again and see what that endurance feels like again. And, and what it, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm very excited to do it. It's, it's a lucky job to get to uh, have, but uh, I, I gotta say, getting to be on a show like Physical has turned on a part of my brain that's like, you, I think with stand up, you can never get to the finish line. You always wonder how good can you get and what will you be talking about in 30 years? You always wonder those things. And that has now turned on with acting, where I'm like, how how good could I be? Like, I do have confidence now, and I think I'm 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 good enough to be hired, but can I, can I get to a place where it's an, an undeniable thing where I, I know when I step into a scene, it doesn't matter who I'm with. I'm confident that I know what I'm doing. And, and those aren't necessarily places I'm at yet. But yeah, I, I, I sort of trying to figure out how to do both. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just want to say, and I know Steve agrees, you are so good in this show. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you really very good. much. Great. That, that feels yeah. good to hear. I do appreciate that a lot. And the show is called Physical. Uh, both season one and season two are streaming now on Apple Plus. Few episodes left in uh, season two. I'm excited for. Yep. Hey, uh, Rory, thank you very much for doing this, man. We really appreciate. It. Congratulations on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, and thanks for for watching the show. It means a lot. So thank you. And there is Rory Scovel. Great guy. Uh, really interesting. The standups. I love when we get a standup on. Because, Sue, then you're able to do the, you know, the the conversation about being a stand-up and how tough it is and all that stuff. I love when we get that on the show. Yeah, I, I love talking to comics. Yeah, yeah, they're you know? great. They're great. Yeah. And physical, fantastic show. Check it out. As I mentioned, 
uh, Apple Plus streaming seasons one, and we're almost at the end of season two. And hopefully, as Rory said, there is a season three. Uh, there is your Culture Pop podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. Sue, great seeing you. We will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop podcast. Thank you.